Mandy Yakich from Creative Matters, and you're listening to Creative Matters On Air, where I have conversations with new and established artists from around New Zealand. I love to listen to artists' stories and learn about their creative process, and maybe you do too, which is why I've made this podcast, to inspire, inform and educate. I hope you can take away something positive and encouraging from each of these amazing stories to help you on your own creative journey. Hi, and welcome to Creative Matters. Thank you so much for joining me. Today I'm talking to Michelle Reed. Michelle is a painter living in Riverhead, Auckland. She graduated with a Bachelor of Textile Design from Massey University in 2001 and worked in the textile industry for eight years in both New Zealand and London. In 2019, she gained a postgraduate diploma from Elam School of Fine Arts with distinction, at the same time as raising her two young children. An eclectic mix of written, visual and intuitive information inform her painting practice. Michelle is currently working with romantic art theories, ideas of regrowth in the post-human novel landscape and reconnecting with pattern in painting. Michelle also draws much of her inspiration from American abstract expressionist painter Helen Frankenthaler. Michelle paints with oil on wood or reassembled canvas offcuts and watercolour on paper. You can see her beautiful work on our blog at creativematters.co.nz. Welcome to Creative Matters, Michelle. Thank you, Mandy. It's nice to have you here and I haven't seen you for quite some time. Yes. Yeah, we've been going through this lockdown and it's been a long time since being anywhere. I know. It's been a tricky time, hasn't it, for lots of Aucklanders in New Zealand? Yeah. Um, so, Michelle, you know, you and I know each other. We're friends. And also um, you work for me in Creative Matters as one of my educators. Yes. Which is awesome. So we met a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah, 2019, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you're an amazing educator and it's great to have you on the team. Thank you. And I'm really looking forward to hearing your story because I don't really know your background. So um, can you take us through right from the beginning where you were born and uh, something about your childhood? Sure. I was born in uh, Auckland um, and quite soon, when I was quite small, about 18 months old, <clears throat> moved down to the Waikato and <clears throat> spent probably about ten, the first 10 years of my life there on a farm, um, growing up on a, on a farm there. Uh, and then sort of in my early, yeah, early teens, we shifted up to South Auckland and I went to high school and lived out the, my teen years there. And whereabouts was that in South Auckland? Um, Papakura. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Rose Hill College was our oh. sort of high school. Yeah. Somebody else I interviewed recently lived out there, grew up there. It was Vanessa. Ah. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. She's a bit younger than you. Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, how did you go at high school with your, well, you know, just actually going back to your childhood again, Did were you a creative child? I was a creative child. Um, I probably have you know, just a couple of very clear, vivid memories about creativity when I was sort of under 10, I suppose. And one of those would be uh, painting with my auntie, who's probably been quite a large mentor in my life. 
and she had a beautiful studio in the north of New Zealand in Monganui. Um, this gorgeous waterfront studio. I mean, I would just absolutely die to have a studio like she did. Um, and we would sort of colour and draw and that sort of thing together. And so I have a very clear memory of drawing some underwater sea type things and felt pens and houses all stacked together sort of under my auntie's guidance. And that was the first moment that I thought, this is just great. You know, I could just stay here all day. I didn't even notice it was sunny and I wanted to swim. I just sort of got lost in my own work. So that was probably my first, you know, mm. indication. And was she an artist? She is an artist, yeah. yes. Yeah, Glenna Summich is her name. And she lives in Australia now, um, but we keep in touch regularly. And mm. Yeah. How lovely to have a mentor like that in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. how about your family? Were they, your immediate family, were they creative? Not in the ways of drawings and painting, uh, but in other ways, yeah. My mum is uh, a teacher and uh, and my my dad, my mum and dad separated, but my dad is a, a diamond setter, was a diamond setter. So yes, he is creative. Um, and my stepfather it was sort of farming and yeah, sort of quite practical kind of mm, person. Mm. And did you have brothers and sisters? My older sister, my oldest immediate sister is um, a doctor and she retrained quite late in life, but had always been working in the sort of science and medical kind of background. Um, and I would say a lot of um, our interests actually are shared sometimes between a sort of a, a sciencey sort of like sort of interest and path. Mm. That was actually one subject I didn't take at school that I wished I had. Mm. Um, yeah, but you know, I love having conversations with her. She's a great writer and just a, a very good thinker and she's she's a very quick thinker and yeah so I yeah I have a really close relationship with her mm, that's lovely and maybe that sort of science bent that you have deep down is coming through in your art practice in some way yeah I think so I'm sort of trying to find my feet a little bit with some of that content and information yeah so um you obviously were kind of thinking pretty creatively how did you go at high school with your art at high school, I I took a lot of artistic subjects. I took painting and photography, and I had some and art history. I had really wonderful teachers. Tessa Laird was one of my high school teachers who went on to become, you know, a wonderful artist and university professor. And um, uh, I also had another lady, Mrs. Brown, <laughs> and she was a brilliant art history teacher and she brought so much enthusiasm to those classes that I was just hooked. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, in fifth and sixth form, uh, I really enjoyed the art classes. But when it came to seventh form, I didn't end up going through with seventh form painting. I felt quite sort of self-conscious at the time about my drawing abilities and my skills um, but I had really loved doing uh, things to do. I remember a project to do with Ralph Hortery and I just really enjoyed that and sort of got some good marks back, you know. So um, I wasn't too sure about how my artist voice was, you know, going to be used, I suppose, in that age. Um, but by not going to painting, doing painting, it meant that I couldn't apply to art schools. Um, and so I sort of, yeah, I, I sort of um, 
found myself unable to apply for mm. art schools, which was shame. quite tricky. And you actually wanted to. That was your, your yeah, plan. Yeah, I, I was on the fence. I think around that time, though, um, I was also taking – I can't remember the name of the class, home economics type class, a sewing class with, with a, my best friend, Catherine Wilson, who's now a wonderful shoe designer. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, and we, were, we were quite close and we had lots of conversations about, you know, what you're going to be when you grow up. And so the idea of um, sort of directing my artistic skills into something that could turn into some kind of product was quite um, quite uh, appealing at the time. And so I was focusing more on the design route of things. Um, so, yeah, so that really, that led me into sort of the first steps of university and, and heading towards a design degree. Mm. And yeah. um, did you go straight to uni? Yes, school. yeah, that's right. So yeah, I left Rose Hill College and went straight to um, AUT where I did a foundation in fashion design there. And I quite quickly realised that those that that degree and that sort of singular only in fashion sort of um, major wouldn't be right for me. And I noticed that Wellington Polytech at the time was offering a degree that you, that meant you could sort of work across different different disciplines like industrial design and photography and that was really appealing so um we and I'm we we both agreed at the time that that would be a good idea so Catherine and I sort of packed ourselves up and went down to Wellington to study there so that was a really big deal and a really exciting time and sort of the first flatting experience you know all of that fun Fun stuff. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Good student stuff. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So from the fashion design, what did you come to at the end of that first year? Did you – so you went into the other design with the, with the other – Yeah, that's the different, right. Different types of design. Then, uh, yeah, that's right. Then we started in Wellington with another foundation type paper that explored all of the different types of design practices there. Um, and – at that point, I realized I, I wasn't too sure. So I still took some papers like pattern making and ergonomics for fashion design. I took some of those things, but that's when I started to explore textile design and um, and eventually that became my major. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I, about sort of two years into the degree, uh, I was really enjoying it. Um, and then towards the end, um, uh, two things. I, I started to – I applied for a scholarship uh, – sorry, excuse me, not a scholarship, an exchange program, which was in Scotland. And I went across to the Duncan of Jordanston Art College, oh, which wow. was a really exciting experience. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, and it was amazing. In it's in Dundee, which oh, yeah. is around about an hour um, out of Edinburgh. Right. I think it's an hour north, close to the Firth of Tay, I think it is. Mm. Yeah, quite a backwater sort of town, but mm. with a really reputable art and design college. How amazing. What made you decide to do that? There was an opportunity to do a, an exchange with three students coming to New Zealand and three to go to Scotland, so sort of a straight swap in a way. And um, three of us in the department got quite excited about it and applied for it to do it. 
And right at the last minute, the three girls in Scotland pulled out, but um, it was really set up between the universities. And and actually, now that I think back, through Stella, uh, one of the tutors, she was the Scottish tutor who I think sort of had a hand in mm. the connection. Yeah. So the three girls from from Wellington still went over. Yes, we did. We still wow. went over and stayed in the sort of university accommodation and. Amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. It was an amazing college. And that was my first sort of eye opening experience to the differences between surface pattern and textile construction. And that sort of link across with arts. Um, it was my first trip to Premier Vision in Paris, which was really exciting. We did this horrendous bus ride. Can't believe we went on a bus from from Dundee all the way to Paris. Oh my god. <laughs> It was awful. Wow, that's a long way. <laughs> it was a long trip, yeah. But, you know, an experience in itself. Mm. Yeah, it was great. Mm. But, um, so, but you know, coming back from, from that wonderful experience, I think I was just finding my feet in being overseas and then had to come home six months later to finish my degree. And at, at that point, I was really sort of, questioning like where is this going within New Zealand and the industry a bit more and and what are my skills all about and I I somehow sort of you know I I wasn't the happiest with my end of year hand in Um, and actually it's something that I'm I'm sort of just readdressing now in my work sort of starting to just pick up the you know the bits and pieces on the why and where I left some of those questions, mm. I suppose. Mm, that's nice yeah. that you can come back to that yeah. and kind of resolve it in your own mind. Yeah, absolutely. In some way. Yeah. Yeah. And why? what was it that you weren't happy with? I, I sort of have come to the conclusion that I was dealing with ideas in a metaphorical way and there, that wasn't really the intention with a design degree that needs a brief with, with a solution. Um, it was more logical, you know, to print a piece of fabric or to, you know, set yourself a, a um, something to make with a finished result. And I started to approach that in, in, a, in a sort of a, a different way. It, the context was out of design and I'm only really just figuring that out mm. now. And was that yeah. something that didn't really go down well with the lecturers? Yeah, it was a bit of a it was a bit hard getting it over the line, you know, getting the essay handed in and the project work and yeah, mm. it was a it was a bit of a tricky finish to the end towards the end, but um but I got there, you know. Mm. And that's that was that's good. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> after all that time. Yeah. And how did you actually I mean, where were you thinking you were going to go after university and and how did that pan out? I really wanted to find a way to um, to be able to work towards making my own textile prints. That was some sort of burning ambition that was, you know, deep down inside. That um, that if you have a great textile print, you know, it, it really shows identity within a fashion uh, a fashion story or a fashion garment. Um, so I was always in the camp of apparel fabrics and I, I never had have or had really explored the interior type fabrics, which was quite a, um, a division between sort of people who worked in textiles um, or work in textiles. Um, so uh, I knew that I was interested in the apparel textile market and was really hoping to find work in that zone. Um, and then... 
a few months after leaving school uh, or uni, I was lucky enough to um, apply for and get a job with a wholesale company, which was called Global Textiles, based in Auckland. Yeah, so that was sort of my first, you know, my first real world job. Mm, wow, that's <laughs> yeah. good. So you managed to find work, I guess, coming after, you know, out of uni. Yeah. Can, it can be hard. And what was your role within that? I started there as a, a design assistant and um, pr- eventually progressed to range coordinator. So that, yeah, I think I was there five years. Uh, yeah, and the the role um, began helping helping the um, creative director uh, with color store color yeah color stories and um, trend concepts and thinking about the sort of all the fabrications that we were buying and what the end uses were for and figuring out the the prices and the budgets and that sort of thing um, to pull them together into collections of around about 150 fabrics per season uh, that would then get sold on to the New Zealand designers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sounds interesting. It was a great role. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was so great. And eventually the role progressed to include travel um, and sort of more design and buying responsibility, which was really Mm. exciting. Buying fabrics from around the world. Yes. Yeah. So we would have... Um, three or four trips a year to Asia, which included Taiwan, Korea, and China. Uh, and then of two of those trips, we would take on a, an extra leg to um, London and Paris to see the the uh, textile exhibits like Premier Vision and and have a good look around the shops to see what's going on sort of mm. fashion-wise in the other parts of the world. That would be amazing. It was really, yeah, it was, it was a really exciting time. Mm. That's yeah. a great job. And were you actually like drawing up designs very no. much? No, no, we were mostly, we were buying in a lot of um, samples and working with the mills a lot with available prints that they had. Um, and sometimes we would see something on a garment that looks really great and then we'd sort of ask the mills if they could reinterpret that into a print. And at that stage then we would adjust and tweak all the colours to sort of fit stories and pull things together to to um, fit with the, the seasonal kind of uh, fashion trends, I suppose. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So there was a lot of things that, I I would use in an artistic way, you know, mm. color and fabrication and um, composition. Composition, exactly. Um, yeah, pattern, pattern, yeah, yeah, shape, form, all yes. those things. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So was that starting to inspire you as an artist to sort of start creating yourself on the side? Yeah, I really i I felt in myself that I was still attempting you know, ways to draw. And I would have these failed attempts at home of of coming up with pattern ideas that would be sort of fitting or going alongside these trends. But they never really made it out of my lounge. <laughs> they just have stayed in a book. And I have a lot of sort of notebooks and workbooks of ripped, you know, torn magazine pages with ideas that I'm like, oh, that would be a good one and that mm. would be a good one. And why do you say they were failed attempts? They... They would never really, uh, well, one part was just 
not having probably enough confidence to show someone to say this is something you know that could work but also I would get halfway and uh, you know I would sort of trail off or you know maybe I might not fully complete that idea and I'd move on to something else and the the pathway to making these things seemed quite challenging for it to happen because we were dealing a lot with uh, offshore um, manufacturers and even at that stage, which this would be kind of maybe 2005, 2008, at that stage, a lot of the textile industry was starting to close down. And it's, I mean, it's really dwindled and dwindled since then. But there was less availability to be able to print fabrics. And if you did, there's sort of large quantities attached to them. Um, so the the sort of importance of getting those things right was really, you know, really specific need and a really kind of high, you know, high risk, I suppose, mm, you know, company wise. Yeah. So I wasn't quite brave enough to ever um, get it, get it going, I think, mm. but I sort of kept it alive, you know, I yeah. kept all the ideas alive. And you were sort of playing at, at home a yeah. bit and experimenting and yes. getting some ideas down at that point, but not necessarily for work. I mean, was it for work at that point or were you just doing it because you liked to do it? I was doing it because I liked to do it. Yeah. Just in my own time. And the other thing I would, uh, the other thing I I did, um, thinking of that time, is I would go and stay with my auntie, who by then had shift, shifted houses from this Monganui property to another gorgeous Monganui property with a studio looking over grapevines this time. Um, and she was sort of teaching and guiding me a little bit with painting. And she's a, she's a painter who is really interested in portraiture as well as impressionism and ex- expressionism a, a little bit more so impression impressionism um and so we would set up still lifes like Matisse that was one of her favorite painters and we would paint these um colorful Matisse type paintings uh quite accurate kind of um, interpretations of them so there was still this sort of playing s- somewhere with my creativity mm. and were you starting to get a little bit more confident by this point do you think with your work your own work yeah I th- I was feeling probably quite creatively confused I think I had a, a job that was on paper looked and felt like it was um, a creative job but my connection to my hands was missing and, you know, in the end, that was that's really what has drawn me back mm. is just not being directly related, related and connected to the work. To the making. To the making, yeah. Yeah, mm. it was sort of this, you know, the, all of the, the tools and the skills were there, but by sort of sending it all off to other people to do and make the things, it just was just not quite within my, mm. my zone, yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, I guess there's people who like to use their brain creatively, like you know, people in advertising, and uh, and I guess they still make things too. But it's the sort of conceptual stuff that some people think like that, and others get ideas and then need to make. Yes, you know, it's, it's sort of different types of creatives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, and it took me a long time to recognise that I was really discontented with with that approach you know Mm. yeah because yeah so following that job I worked across in London for a couple of years in a 
slightly more technical role, which was very challenging, but really interesting. Um, and, you know, it was sort of after the, oh, there's, there goes Nazzy. We'll just stop for a second. She's greeting somebody coming up the drive. Okay, sorry about that. Problem solved with the dog. What were you saying, Michelle, about London and the work that you're doing there? So I was working in a fabric uh, development role in London and uh, I worked in a company called Bowdoin mostly and that was sort of a a catalogue online type brand that had in-house and still does in-house print designers, which I was very admirable of. Um, And I really had a great relationship with the lady Sue, who I worked with. Uh, Through that role, we would also do a lot of travelling but most of the fabric selection was out of my hands. It was all to do with the designers choosing what they needed. So that was quite a performance-based uh, role where I had to um, really learn all about fabric performance and waterproofing and sort of tear strength and some quite, you know, um, quite important properties of fabrics. Um, and through the travel and discussions with the suppliers of those fabrics, it just really opened my eyes to the sort of um, the market of fashion in that global sense and what it was doing worldwide. Uh, and at one stage, we had a, a key factory auditing trip planned around the south of China. Um, and working with a, a much more senior colleague, I I can remember going past a river that was turning red from dye that was being washed down in in the water and just feeling just so uncomfortable about that scenario that that it was you know really uncared for and that this is such an unseen kind of industry that happens behind the scenes you know most people just see it as a garment on a rack and don't know that stretch and and um reach that it has globally before it even gets to a product mm. And um, it just made me really uncomfortable. And around that time, uh, I became pregnant and we moved back to New Zealand. But somehow that that role really sowed the seeds for me with a massive sort of environmental concern and just the the imbalance between what's happening with sort of consumption versus, you know, environmental issues, um, which I sort of later started to try and tackle an approach I suppose in my art Mm. yeah and was that kind of putting you off do you think off the industry or absolutely and and it really changed my track I I had been progressing and progressing in this industry and looking for some of these sort of sourcing and buying roles that seemed really glamorous when I was quite young and just as I left I was approached by Burberry to see if if I would work with them as a um, or come to interview as a textile buyer, and and I remember thinking, oh, you know, I've I'm just about to leave. You know, that's really really tough. But at the same time, I was really sort of over the industry, and I was over the style of work, and I was really ready for the change. So I was really grateful to my children actually for bringing that about. You yeah, know? that can it's be a, a good thing, can't it? Sometimes yeah. children is sort of a like a, a new period in your life and that can open up, you know, your mind to other possibilities. Absolutely, yeah. It was a real line in the sand for me yeah, that's in the great. end. Yeah, but it worked. It, yeah, it's really worked well. Mm. And you never went back? Uh, hmm. In 
once we shifted home to Auckland, um, my husband and I tried our hand in a very small sustainable uh, accessories business where we were making um, alpaca and merino scarves and beanies. We just decided to start with one single product and see if we could get it all the way through the hoops from start to finish uh, within New Zealand. And it was really challenging and we had to let go of the fibre sourcing. We couldn't do that, but we could knit um, knit the product in New Zealand and make it here still. Um, but in saying that, that sort of, uh, test drive of making a product really just sorted out quite quickly whether it was the right kind of business for us as a couple and by then we had two little children and we were working on it at nights like after nine o'clock after he'd finished work and had dinner and it was just too stressful. We found it too challenging. Mm. I would try and do things in the day and then we'd try and have meetings at night and wow. it was it was too hard. Yeah. That yeah. Sounds really hard. We couldn't bear it in our like relationship and family anymore. So we we're like, mm, this is not good. Yeah. Although we sort of romantically sometimes talk about, you know, we we might bring that back. But <laughs> <laughs> those amazing scarves. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and they they are gorgeous. I like, bet. I lovely love product. Alpaca. Yeah. And possum, yeah. Lovely and, oh, to wear. Possum Merino. Po- yeah, Merino and Alpaca. Possum's good too, yeah. though, isn't it, with Alpaca? Absolutely. Yeah. So soft. And, um, I mean, I guess it would be frustrating for people trying to get that kind of business going with the, you know, trying to make it affordable enough to keep it New Zealand-based yes. or keeping it sustainable can often be more expensive and yes. there's all those issues. Absolutely. Yeah, and for New Zealand, you know, we, we struggle with – our location is so isolated that we rely around that time when I was, you know, 2005, I can remember designer textiles just moved all their production. They were a really large Merino making um, uh, company and they moved all of their production over to China because the machinery is just so much more advanced, you know, and you can actually find fully sustainable um, factories that operate with solar power panels and, you know, wonderful wonderful um uh or you know organic type inks people are really some factories are really at the top of their game in this in this kind of field but you have to really go and see you know if you really if you're looking for that you have to really weed it out mm. yeah because there's a, a lot of people just expense. trying to make a buck yeah <laughs> yeah and it's hard when you're trying to fit that around your family as well yeah absolutely yes so were you thinking then that okay this is my moment to blossom <laughs> <laughs> and was you know did you have thoughts at that time when you had your children and they were little that you were going to get back into your own art practice yeah i uh at some point I don't know if it overlapped with when we were doing the accessories or if it was after but I signed up to uh, Matthew Brown's Brown School of Art to do a year-long course and I knew that there was something creatively in me that I still wanted to explore and um, I just thought I'm gonna try it out it's one day a week it's just gonna be lovely you know this really enjoyable day which it just absolutely was Mm. Um, he's really created a, a brilliant um, community sort of of artists and people who really you know have a, a lovely working relationship there mm. um, and while I was there I, f- I signed up for two years the second year I realized that my 
my uh, idea of becoming an artist later in life, <laughs> potentially some long, you know, some sort of pipe dream of <clears throat> being retired and being becoming an artist, was a, a long way off. And actually, um, I've got a lot of ideas that I'm processing, and it could be quite interesting to try and bring some of that into my actual making. And for some reason, that was just the first time that the light ever switched on that mm. this could work. You know, maybe this is something. Um, Great. And, and what were you actually studying? I mean, what was the course that you were doing? The course is the was the year-long art class. I can't remember. I, I think it's called year-long level two and three and four, which is similar to a university um, stages of a bachelor, I suppose, but it's not assessed. Um, although it's run in a really well-organized way that has a different set of um, different set of tasks, I suppose. What do you call them? Like, you know, ideas mm. for, for each year level. Uh, so in the level two, it was quite well-structured in that every six weeks or so, I think the topic would change um, so that you had a chance to try sort of drawing or abstract making or still life or... Um, we did a great collaborative kind of work all together, which mm. was really fun. Sounds amazing. It was really cool. Yeah. And mm. then in the the third year, it was a little bit of that in the beginning, but towards the end, you take your own um, artwork into your own hands and, you know, sort of explore with what you want. And that part for me, I sort of was taking that quite seriously. You know, I was ready to sort of apply ideas to these things and mm. – and do you think you got you sort of gained some confidence in your own abilities through that couple of years? Yes, I I knew um, quite quickly that this is what I wanted to do, and then I could suddenly see how many things related to it and how much I wanted to work through. Which you know, for me, that sort of covered some ideas about the environmental issues that I could see with textiles and um, the sort of painting. Um, sort of history that I have with my auntie that, you know, I know these skills are here, I just don't really know how to use them. So, yeah, I could see them sort of suddenly starting to come together quite mm, quickly. How amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and um, probably about time, I'm sure your auntie was like, hallelujah. <laughs> probably. <At last. laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, that's so good that you found that, you know, yeah. and that, that's quite a, a change in direction in a way. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I could really feel the the decision making around that. You know what a what it means to to um, commit and and continue and sort of prioritize my arts above other things. Mm. Um, is it's quite a decision, yeah, yeah that definitely. you can go through to make it. And then by then, were you starting to think of yourself as an artist? Uh, that's a tricky question. By then I was just wanting to find out more. I was so hungry for content and information to do with painting and it was really refreshing to not be thinking about design for some reason. I just loved the open-endedness of arts, that it can be anything and it doesn't have to be a certain way and um, you're not working to the to a brief. To a brief, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I love the materials, you know, the sort of, you know, the paint and the, the sort of whole composition onto, onto, um, onto my surface. And then after after that time at um, 
the Brown School of Art, you at some point decided to go to Elam. How did that come about? The um, that sort of hunger for for content and information and trying to sort out what these creative thoughts and feelings were just somehow instinctively made me want to go to a university to to um, to figure it out, I suppose. So I was so happy that having been through Brown School of Art, I had a decent body of work that I could submit and um, and see if I could get in. So uh, I was really lucky to be accepted and then and start my postgrad diploma there in mm, fine arts. Wow. Yeah. So Amazing. I signed up to that as a part-time class, which was brilliant because it just gave me a sense of, you know, a bit of time, I suppose, to become familiar with the school and the, the lecturers as well as just get a bit of a feel for my work mm. yeah, in that way. Yeah. Wow. And did you start... You know, the work that you finally did in that last show, the atmospheric um, work. Yes. is that Was that something that you were kind of exploring all the way through? And in a second, actually, we'll get you to sort of describe the work that you make and the materials that you use. But um, did you, were you kind of heading in that direction from the beginning of Elam? Um, or were you, because I presume you didn't do like a foundation year or anything like that, you were sort of straight in. So were you straight into your own work? Yes, that's right. Um, I think with that project in particular, I was really chasing a feeling. I was really something that had sort of buried myself, buried itself somewhere back when I was sort of leaving England and to do with the environment and my concern of the climate. It was some sort of uncomfortableness that I just needed to explore. And I really held on to that throughout the whole of that um project um, and then um, I was also already working in inks and working on timber and I really liked the idea that they were sort of like drawing materials um, and I later I love I love it when you come across great research you know that sort of crosses paths with other ideas that you've already got and I read a really beautiful book about Agnes Martin um, and it was talking about her using sort of watercolours and inks and her drawing materials and these beautiful meditative spaces. And a lot of the the writing um, in that book was just resonated with me. Uh, so I, rather than sort of re-exploring all my materiality, I just held on to the inks and, and worked with that um, for, the, for that project. Uh, I also really enjoyed tinting all my gessos which is the the underlayer and paintings and I would use my gesso a lot like paint so sometimes um, that would sort of come out come on top of the inks and and then sometimes sort of you know be buried underneath but I would tint it so that as much as I could just to try and sort of blend and smooth these these sort of um, formless or cloudless cloud-like kind of um, atmospheres I suppose mm, yeah beautiful and they are really beautiful and I can mm. see that you know that was 2019 that you finished Elam it's only two years ago and you know your work still sort of feels like it sort of fits under that umbrella I guess so can you describe to our listeners people who haven't seen your work and you can see your work on on your blog so if, if people want to have a look it's 
It's on your blog post, creativematters.co.nz. But, um, yeah, can you describe what your work looks like and, and your practice? Yes. the My work is, is generally quite um, – I suppose I feel like I'm applying ideas of sort of watercolour and, uh, you know, sort of quite watery wash type brush marks uh, to surfaces, which would be either timber or in more recent case, I'm using oil on canvas. Um, But I think of them more as a kind of an idea of building. And I really think about building up the brush marks. um, And I think a lot in layers um, so I, it's really enjoyable for me to use really thin and really light marks that, that eventually build into something, whether it's form or whether I play with sort of contrast and contradictions with some of those marks. Um, but the, the works themselves are abstract style paintings and I would say I mean, I sort of say landscape, but they're not really, you know. I suppose I'm always working somewhere in the landscape, but they're they're certainly not most obviously landscape-style paintings. Yeah, they probably lean more into the abstract camp. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but they definitely feel like you could put yourself in a place and you could step into them and you'd be somewhere almost yes you know there's there's something about them that make you feel like it is representing a place in some form or or a feeling of a place or for me for that's from my point of view yeah Yeah. oh that's great my the theory that um I was working with at Elam was atmospheric um what is it uh atmosphere aesthetics and that was centered around a book, an Italian writer called Tonino Graffiero, who is a professor in Italy. And he's written a very dense academic book that I had to read with a dictionary, but it was great. <laughs> but um, atmosphere aesthetics and emotional spaces is exactly that sort of um, that description, Mandy. Um, and for me, that is a kind of a, it's a linchpin that somehow talks about um constructed atmospheres that we experience you know whether it's the constructed sort of ideas of fashion and trends or whether it's architecture you know places that are made to feel a certain way that we inhabit and use um but that they 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 sort of come alive I suppose you know there's those occasions where you just are having the best time and you're in a really beautiful position and it's quite a spatial understanding um, and you can't take it with you. You know, it's always changing and you go back to visit it and it might not be the same thing. So it's quite a sort of a sensorial and a temporal type um, concept, uh, which I which I really loved sort of getting to grips with a bit of understanding and a bit of context around that. And mm. somehow that environmental connection, as well as that potentially sort of a a playful way of constructing these atmospheres has has really resonated with me and so it's something that's sort of carried from my postgrad diploma into yeah into my new body of work mm, yeah it has that's really interesting wow and you use um lots of different materials you know charcoal ink and obviously the gesso that you're talking about and um oils and do you use acrylics ever I I tried acrylics at the beginning, but they didn't really work for me. 
Yeah. Um, I sort of got really into the inks and the fluidity of them. And I think it's that sort of fluid uh, material that I seem to really like. Mm. Because even with the oils, once I got them, I just love the color that comes through with oils. And once I started working with them, I was still thinning them down. Like I'm just pouring in the turps and pouring in the linseed oil to sort of get them thinner until I can sort of find a a place where I'm happy just to sort of really gently start and then I can build on it. Mm. Yeah, I'm not really one that, you know, sort of goes out with a big loud brush stroke. And, yeah. You know, yeah, although funnily enough, my really early works did exactly that, you know, sort of big, bold, some really? single sort of mo- movements. Yeah. Mm. Or maybe you but had to do I've that sort of to, slowed it to down make you realise yeah. that you needed to be calmer or slower or, or something. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, how it evolves. And um, how do you actually go about, I mean, obviously, you know, we'll talk about your your other work that you've moved into from that, but still sort of thinking about that atmosphere work. You obviously have been doing quite a bit of research and that's informing what you're making. But is there something else that sort of inspires or influences what you actually end up creating? Outside of atmosphere aesthetics type Well, outside of the, of the research and the, the reading that you've been doing, is there something to do with, you know, why you're choosing the particular colours you're choosing or yes, yeah, are there absolutely. other influences? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, specifically in the atmospheric disquiet one, I was really thinking a lot about cloudscapes and um, sort of, you know, environmental scenarios, which is, um, and I got really interested in Turner and, uh, some of those romantic artists. Um, but I absolutely look all around some of these subjects in in all sorts of ways. I was also looking at another artist, Liu Fan, who makes some really beautiful um, drawings of ephemeral type things like wind and he displaces sort of a, a space with a rock and, you know, quite elemental type um, work. Um uh, I think you say ukiyo-e, the Japanese type painting and prints, which have a really interesting way of uh, expressing the landscape by, you know, sort of layering um, imagery and sort of feeling it off the page. And a lot of these, um, yeah, a lot of these influences, a lot of those, those are a lot of artistic influences. And then more recently, I've started taking on board a bit more poetic uh, type writing sort of essay writing as as a way of um, I think as a way of sort of playfully but you know trying to communicate you know it helps me communicate the ideas that I'm thinking about Mm. yeah the poetic side of things I think yeah that's interesting and do you think that's kind of having a, an effect on, on your work? Is your work changing as a result of that? Absolutely, yes, yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of writers in more apparent in these works who I really enjoy reading. Little, bits of like Sadie Smith and another writer, Sabrina Oramark, who does some lovely and quite comical columns for uh, the Paris Review, I think it is. Mm. And she has a great book of little short stories, which is sort of written like a fairy tale, almost a bit magic realism type stuff, which is quite quite cool. Mm. Yeah, And is that actually inspiring, what you come up with? Yes, yeah. She wrote a really great piece about COVID, which I found just, just 
sort of brought laughter and like a, a change of my concept about what it is we're going through. You know, like that that idea that when the lockdown happened that um, she talked about how she doesn't have a machete to go out and cut the wheat to make the bread and she can't make bread for her kids and there's no flour at the supermarket and, you know, what did I overlook in my life that I don't know how to do the basics? And it, yeah, something about those kind of ideas mm. where where she talks about touch the touchstone of normality changing color, and you know I, we all feel that at the moment that so many things are changing and we're sort of not quite sure where it's all going. And mm, yeah, she had a lovely way of just sort of feeding in ideas of almost in a fairy tale way of things that feel real and things that are impossibly you know mm. unreal. Mm. Yeah. And so, what is your work doing that's reflecting? those readings oh that's tricky I sort of use them as a springboard I suppose when I'm thinking about the mood of the work and what it is I'm trying to to express so um I have a few of those pieces of writing around and um in that one uh she has also written a lovely line which some of my drawings are named after um about patterns and cycles of things and that was sort of the twig for me to start <clears throat> unpacking my own interest. You know, what was it that I was so interested in textiles about and and where did I leave all of that, you know, and how can I be an artist without readdressing some of those ideas um, in my own experience. Mm. So in some ways, her writing just gave me a bit of courage to sort of open the box on yeah. some sort of buried Which is great, isn't <laughs> it? Stuff. I mean, it's all kind of connected isn't it yeah everything that you've done and it feels to me when I look at your more recent work that it, it has quite a sort of textile design feel about it like some repeated patterns and um, repeated shapes and you know really thinking about space and composition so uh, what's you know where's that going do you think the um, more recent works are playing with pattern in a metaphorical sort of way but in saying that, I've put myself through quite a literal translation um, in my sort of visual research where I have been working on paper probably for about a year, um, coming up with different sort of drawings. And I, I just found myself really wanting to actually paint out a watercolor print or pattern. Um, and I used Joseph Frank as an as a inspiration. Um, I was. I've been this next group of work, the disobedient patterns group of work, is is a lot about um, growth and change and letting go and you know some of these things that we're all sort of experiencing. I think, um, and I've been thinking a lot about sort of biodiversity and plant life and the pressures that are on that for us to you know live within our planetary boundaries, um, and. So Joseph Frank's prints and patterns to me are just a brilliant, you know, wildly organic kind of textile design patterns that when you look at his full body of work, they they go really global all around the world um, in terms of subject matter. Uh, so I have been most transfixed by this one, Hawaii, which is, in, is quite a large textile print. It's like 90 by 90 Um in two panels and they alternate which means you don't see the pattern repeats quite so obviously 
Um, and that's something that's really appealing to me and really quite hard to do. You, you most often will see, you know, a spot or a stripe or you can see the repeats quite easily. And I just love it when you can't find it. You know, mm. I love it when it's just looks like a big drawing and it's really hard to see where that repeat happens. Mm. Um, I would always sort of fall down, I think, you know, having to mathematically arrange some of these drawings and to turn it into a repeat. But seeing his work somehow took the the borders off, you know, mm. that you can sort of see how it can be continuous um, but you can still have enough space to fill a giant drawing in, within, you know, a really large space, mm. which I loved, yeah. Mm. So I, I reinterpreted his Hawaii design into New Zealand natives, which is a large mix of ferns and manuka and uh, lace bark and lancewood and all sorts of plants, um, so that I could sort of see a New Zealand version of his Hawaii design. And that was a really enjoyable process. Mm, it was beautiful. It beautiful. Yeah. And it's so motivating, isn't it, when you have something that just sort of excites you and, you know, makes you tingle all over with creativity. And you're yeah. Just, you're ready to you know, to start absolutely. creating and getting all these ideas. It's so amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, by that point, it was sort of, you know, I was just charging, yeah, <laughs> you know, I that bet. sort of obsession of you just like, oh, excuse me, I just need to get started and mm. get going. Yeah, yeah, which is cool. So where are you in that part of the process? Are you partway through? Or? Those ones I've finished as a double pattern and I've just called them Aotearoa because they're, that's their sort of, you know, I've I've mixed a whole lot of plants in there. Mm. Um but I knew by sort of putting myself through that drawing process of figuring out those repeats that somehow that will feed into my into my painting practice, which it which it undoubtedly has. Um, there's something about understanding the shapes and the use of space and that kind of filling of space and how Joseph Frank organised it that's been really helpful to see how the shapes kind of all float around each other and fill mm. up and the detail that he would go to with. Um, decorative kind of little dots and stripes and mm. tiny little you know bits of information with color it's beautiful to, uh, put a link to his um, his work yeah yeah i'd like to have a look and in the end actually he that that print hawaii has been my um color palette for this exhibition so i decided just to stay with using these seven colors that are the um color palette of his Hawaii design so all of my paintings although they sort of have different you know f different strengths of color they're actually only made out of those seven colors so I just have this kind of you know these dye bath type kind of colors organized in the studio so that I can just use them in mm. different layers yeah wow interesting yeah and then how do you add charcoal and and um Ink. I mean, obviously, you're using quite a lot of ink. I mean, do you actually mix the ink with the oils at all, or is that quite uh, actually a thing? no? Yeah, I've I have sort of tried to to grow away a little. Actually, that's not completely true. I I have tried to because I'm dealing with pattern, and because I'm sort of readdressing something to do with textiles. I knew that I needed to somehow move into canvas, mm. and. I really wanted to try sort of figure out my own sort of handling with that, but found the whole idea of going out to the shop to buy a canvas or to, you know, I just found that really impossible to accept that, you know, surely I 
we can do this another way. I was thinking about the ideas of circular economies, you know, how you can sort of take things from an end of life somewhere and reuse it somewhere else and and hopefully sort of close a loop, I suppose. So I happened to be in Studio Art Supplies one day and saw their um, their offcuts box and sort of grabbed a couple, genuinely just expecting to do some testers, and then thought, actually, you know, maybe there's something in this. I'll, I'll uh, once I'd sort of done a couple, I was like, oh, you know, I could start putting these pieces together and and reassembling the the um, pieces, I suppose. And that was just a, a really lovely moment because it feels really playful to sort of, you know, to pull these bits and pieces mm. together and sort of recompose, I suppose, yeah. out of these. And to be reusing as yeah. well. And then so how do you actually attach them? Uh, I was looking at um, Tent Repairs, which is a, um, you know, a good YouTube clip for me, but uh, just a really simple but really heavy-duty glue I've used um, and, and a really like an over, a good 24-hour solid press overnight so that they're really properly bonded. And then the pieces are actually quite strong together like that. Mm, beautiful. Um, and do you see the edges? Are they rough edges? Or yeah, they're just really you want, you rough cut edges, that. which I quite like. Yeah. You know, I sort of want that materiality to be sort mm. of played into my paintings. I think, you know, I sort of I feel really aware about what you can't see with fabrication and textiles. So it's quite nice for me to see these sort of – and they also remind me of landscape kind of edges you know mm. pieces that are sort of interrupting and the disruptions and the changes between the pieces I really like yeah that's really cool yeah and I love the way it goes back to your textile background as well you know once again a lot of it's sort of going back and just kind of tying everything together isn't it really and how did do you actually put those onto a frame or do you have it just as a flat yes piece I, of canvas? I have started I had them flat and I work on them individually flat and then I started um, composing them together. And then I was thinking, oh, these could be quite good if I worked back over top of them. So there's sort of this building process that's start, starting to happen. Um, I noticed that they were, some of them were, they, they actually looked really great, just sort of clipped up on the wall, unstretched. But mm. some of them, because of the um, changes of the weights of the canvas, they would be a little bit um, buckling you know, sort of next to the join. So I, I've stretched them myself just onto stretcher frames just to try and keep them mm. a bit more crisp, yeah, nice. and a bit smoother, which is much easier to paint on. Yeah, I love that idea. Yeah. So it's really nice, Michelle, to hear about your art practice and, and your amazing process. It's so interesting. Um, and I'd love to know how you actually show your work um, and promote your work. So what sort of exhibitions have you been involved in? Um, I've got an exhibition coming up at Lake House in Takapuna, which unfortunately got delayed from COVID. So that's been shifted two or three times, but I'll be really looking forward to that one actually hanging in the space. Uh, but I really like thinking of my work in exhibition form because I really enjoy thinking about sort of the, the group of work or the body of work hanging all together and how they sort of link and relate to each other um, sort of across the room and across space and and uh, and I often sort of try my best to check that in my studio um, sort of once I get one on the wall and then there's something sort of to talk to and to sort of relate to 
and I like being able to sort of play with those contradictions of color or you know whether they're sort of related um, through color or whether they're sort of in opposition or something yeah so mm. I find that that's sort of a really enjoyable part about exhibiting yeah and it adds to it becomes you know the body of work compared to one singular work is is a different dynamic isn't it yes yeah absolutely absolutely and it also gives me a chance um to to sort of go down some of these rabbit holes with the research I I really love that part of being an artist and working in a way that I can layer some concepts together um, and it gives me a chance to sort of look back and look forward at the same time um, in this body of work I've been looking at sort of romantic art theory and ideas of sort of the, the this idea of novel landscape what will happen to the landscape sort of after or in the future you know now that we sort of no longer have this pristine romantic landscape and the idea of sort of rebuilding and growth and nature taking its course you know um so it really gives me a chance to sort of really you know think through concepts and and have a chance to apply them to a, a set of or a body of work which I really like mm, and the conversations between works yeah and a chance to move my work on you know a chance to sort of reflect and and then push it forward in some way mm. and how do you feel about getting your work out there I'm, I feel like I'm still a bit new and a bit awkward at that <laughs> which is probably just my nature yeah I'm just yeah but um I'm trying to be a bit more, a bit better actually at that. Mm. Um, I've become a, a member, I suppose, of the Toy Poto mentoring program, and it's really, it's really great. It's a really, um, really interesting space just to hear from other artists. Uh, they they share sort of interviews with working practicing artists and people who are running like art space Aotearoa. Um, and that's really, really encouraging and sort of, you know, makes me think, well, you know, you just have to find your way with it mm. and, and figure out what works for you. Yeah. That sounds great. Toy Poto. That's right. Toy mm. Poto. Yeah. It's, it's a creative New Zealand mentoring program. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll brilliant. put a link to that as well on your blog. Absolutely. For sure. I recommend it for people who might be a little bit, you know, unsure where they're at with their practice mm. or need a bit of encouragement and help. So it's you're brilliant. being mentored by an artist for yes, your practice. By yeah, by Dina Jesdick, who yeah, is is uh, in a curator and um and writer, mm. arts writer, uh, and just really helpful hearing, you know, having a sounding board and having someone to sort of bounce ideas with is mm, brilliant. That's yeah. So good. Absolutely. Yeah. And some quite practical information. You know, it's not mentoring in a creative sense. It's actually mentoring in a in a professional sense. You know, things to think about how you promote yourself and mm. how you sort of manage your budget and all that sort of thing. Some quite useful skills. Yeah, yeah. that's a great thing to do now, isn't it? For your your where you're up to, I guess, and your absolutely and your career and your art career. And of course, yeah, I have some sort of website work in progress, which <laughs> might be a slow slow build, but you know, it's, it's underway. Happening. It's yeah. happening, which yeah. is good. That's a start. Mm -hmm. And you've got your Facebook and Instagram, which you obviously sort of post and yeah. tell stories on, which is nice. Yes. Yeah, I enjoy using the stories the most, actually. And I sort of feel like um, I, I only put a post on when it's a sort of a, something a bit more completed or something I really want to keep on the page. 
but yeah, the stories are quite a fun way mm. to just stay, you know, a bit more involved daily or yeah. weekly or whatever. It's a bit more informal, isn't it? Yeah. And I find one thing I find really hard with um, promoting work on on those channels is that if you're not actually making and don't have any new work, sometimes it's hard to know what to um, what to put up. Mm. I find. Yeah. You know, if you're not making as much, but you're still wanting to keep that momentum. You know, I guess showing your process is good. That's what a lot of people do. Yeah. Videos of, of making, but I'm just not really into that. Yeah, it's interesting. We had a we had somebody um, present a talk to us about sort of Instagram and the idea of how it works with, you know, sort of reels being the really popular thing to do. And I haven't really explored the idea of reels yet, maybe, but um, I can see how the the momentum really builds with Instagram, I suppose. I suppose as a person, I'm still not not 100%, you know, comfortable to really push that space out for myself. But mm. I don't know if that would change. I think I think it's just to do with who I am. You know, there's mm. sort of only so many things I I need to or want to share. At, you know, unless it feels relevant. Yeah. Um, but that might change. Maybe yeah. that's just getting a bit more confident with it. I'm mm. not and sure. Have you have you ever actually put yourself out there as as Michelle? the artist or is it more about your work at the moment it's more about my work at the moment yeah and that sort of that definition of the artist is still something I'm trying on you know I, yeah. or I don't know if it's a fully well-rounded description I but in saying that I really love everything that comes with being an artist you know I love that sort of flexibility of um of disciplines and the connections that it brings and there's so many great things that come with it the sort of the it keeps me fully engaged in in society and information and you yeah, know yeah and you meet so many wonderful people mm, just such a through. great community isn't it yeah yeah well we are actually going to have to wrap it up otherwise uh, <laughs> people are going to stop listening just fall asleep <laughs> so um I'd like to know Michelle just to finish off what do you love most about what you're doing at the moment I think it's I think it's the having the the opportunity to really deep dive into sort of research and into a visual arts practice um, and and saving that space, you know, being able to do it. it it's quite hard to to uh, make sure that you can still create and and hold that space to do it. Um, so I feel very lucky and I really love doing that, you know. Mm. I love being able to do it. Um, and I really like to sort of find those overlaps of – of interests that start to have little light bulb moments, you know, serendipitous kind of moments that you kind of go, oh, make something about those three bizarre things make sense. So I love that pulling together of ideas to mm. to sort of discover and explore something, some new territory, you know, to me anyway. Yeah. yeah. And what do you find most challenging? Um, probably promoting myself <laughs> and, and uh, you know, just – just yeah sort of uh I think just being able to keep it all going and you know I I don't necessarily find that challenging because I I do that for myself I think yeah mm, it's hard to say because it's a bit of a double-edged thing where you you uh where I I want to see it um grow and just finding the right space for that to happen you know yeah yeah, and how that happens, you know, 
that will just take some time, I that think. That will come. That will come. Yeah, for sure. And you're a busy mum of two boys. Yes. How do you find the, the juggle with being a mum and, and art, a practising artist? Uh, it's busy, but as long as I'm well organised, it, it works fine. Um, I sort of, I mark out my studio days as, as you know, as a job and I work in my garage, so I just sort of disappear out there for, for those days. And I try to be as as um, sort of, you know, organised and disciplined about those days as possible so that I don't, uh, that I don't sort of lose time, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. I've always mm. got something boiling, something on uh, going, something on the pot, you know, in the pot yeah. going. Yeah. So um, I like to get in there and there are, there's definitely time where I might not do anything, but um, usually something turns up, you know, mm. and I like all the in between times, you know, sort of preparing surfaces and working on drawings and sort of exploring ideas until the right questions start popping up and and then, you know, and then it's go. And you're off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what do you think's in the future for you? Uh, hmm, I think, you know, the dream would just be to grow the practice and to continue, yeah, to continue my, my uh, painting practice. Um, at times I've, been dabbling with the idea of going back to complete my masters maybe let's see <laughs> yeah um be interesting and also you've thought about um some teaching haven't you? and i've thought about teaching yeah teaching adults that's right yeah mm. yes i really enjoy teaching it's a lovely it's a it it creates that lovely community of you know the the people who are interested with arts and and sharing information and mm generating more more um in the arts which i love yeah um absolutely yeah yeah and that's exciting you know and hopefully that can that can happen i know your last plan for for teaching an adult workshop had to go by the wayside with covid but you know i'm sure that's going to that's going to happen and you know you you are you have a real gift with working with people i think and you're so lovely working with the children with creative matters and I'm very Thank lucky you. to have you. And I hope you're not going to go anywhere in a hurry. <laughs> I'll just slip that one in. Thanks, Mandy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's been really nice to, talking to you. And it's so interesting when you have a friend or, you know, somebody you've met through work, whatever, um, who, you know, not always sure of people's stories. And it's really lovely to hear you talking about your, your background and also the way, you know, what informs your paintings and, um, you know, I have such a deeper appreciation for what you do from hearing your thoughts and um, the connections that you make. Oh, so, thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you very, very much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. It's a lovely conversation and, yeah, I'm in good hands. <laughs> thank you. It's lovely, Thanks, Mandy.